you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Fearless Business Podcast. Sorry, Lorraine, I made you jump then with my loud introduction. Uh, Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach. I've got an amazing guest on today in Rain Ball, who is going to be talking to us about all things marketing and getting you G'd up and ready to push forward with your business. So welcome to the show today, Lorraine. It is so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's lovely to have you here as well. So after spending too many years in corporate America, Lorraine said goodbye to bureaucracy, glass ceilings and bad coffee. Uh, Today, you can find her at Round Peg, a digital agency in Carmel, Indiana, building smart marketing strategies for businesses who want to use internet marketing tools to grow. Um, Lorraine, when we spoke a little while ago, you talked about or we discussed something called uh, or or about burning your bridges. And you think that's a, um, a, a great way to to kickstart kind of um, somebody who's on the, the, the early stages of their business journey. So talk to us about um, burning your boats. Okay, so um, the issue is that when you start your business, too often I run into people who are trying to sail to this new island where they're going to have this new business and this wonderful life. And they get to the island and they put one foot on the island and they keep holding one foot to that um, that new future. And that back and forth, back and forth, what eventually happens is they fall overboard. And what you need to do is you need to burn the boats. And so how do you burn the boats? Number one, um, you have to take some money out of the bank and make some investments in your business. Doesn't have to be huge, but you need to start spending real money on the business because that is a commitment. That's a an emotional thing. The second thing that you need to do is you need to let go of that old past. And I'll give you the example of how I burned the boats in my business. Um, for a long time, I couldn't figure out whether I was going to be a small business marketing coach or a big business team building uh, coach. And I kept trying to live in both of those worlds. And one day I realized I was chasing a lot of business that wasn't happening over here. And I was generating a lot of business here. And so I called up a friend of mine who was a uh, consultant working with big businesses. And I said, I have 950 names I'm going to send you. Have a nice life. Wow. (laughs) And I sent her my entire list. Uh, I mean, and that talk about burning the boats. There was no way back. There was once I gave her that list, there was no way to go back and, oh, just kidding. I really want those customers. What that did is it freed me up to turn 100% of my attention to the part of my business that was actually working and focus on building an organization that, you know, 19 years later, I'm still having fun. 
Oh, can, and making money. <laughs> good, well, good. That's the that's the whole point of business, isn't it? To make money. I, I can certainly relate to what you've just said there as well, because there was a time in my order marketing agency, which I used to run, where we did email support as well. And it just um, got to a point whereby we were spending so much time doing the email support that didn't really make much money when we should have been really focused on our core product, which was about building websites and doing branding. And I just ended up with it. My business partner was like, oh, we can make some money out of this. And I was like, no, let's just give it to somebody else because we can make make way more over here and immediately literally over, overnight our support calls dropped by about 90 percent, and we had so much more time to focus mm-hmm. on sort of doing the the really important stuff so with the, what, what other tips do you have then for small business owners well so um uh invest in invest in quality a little bit of quality rather than a lot of junk and again a good example i had a client in the early days he was a consultant his target, he his average project was selling for fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. This was not a hi, you know, two hundred bucks, have a nice day. He was selling big projects, and he was calling on these companies with a business card that he had gone to Staples, which is our local office supply store, and bought paper that you could run through your printer and punch out the cards. And he was walking in there with these cheap, and I was like, dude, it's not that expensive. Spend a hundred bucks, get a nice weight card, have it professionally designed. Walk in there with something that somebody goes, oh, you're legit. And, you know, today, again, a website. This is, this is the most amazing opportunity for businesses, we didn't have this 25 years ago. 25 years ago, you had to set up a storefront. You had to have an office. Today, you can look like one of the big guys from your own backyard if you'll make those investments in a few things of quality rather than a lot of junk. I um, It's interesting because I did something that's quite different um, I, with business, business cards specifically, because I think business cards can be a really fantastic talking point. And, mm-hmm. and not many people realize that, but I was just trying to, I was trying to look for mine. So I actually had my own, my own coin minted with Fearless nice. Business printed on it, right? Because I mean, nowadays, not many people use business cards because, well, one, because we've got the pandemic, we can't give them <laughs> to people. But two, like who wants a boring bit of card when you can have a sudden great big coin in, in your pocket, which you can hand mm-hmm. over it. Like somebody feels really special when they get given that. And I think this is something which a lot of business owners miss. They forget Mm -hmm. about those like little talking points and those those magical sort of touches which you can put on things. You know, that's the thing is that uh, when we go back to networking in person, and and we will, I know that we will, is going to happen someday. um, And you come home from that event with, you know, a stack of cards and one coin. That coin It's going to sit on your desk. You're not quite sure what to do with it, but it's going to be there as a reminder for way longer than those cards that I'm going to toss as soon as I get them entered into my my, uh, CRM system. Absolutely. Um, In terms of, um, again, just going back to sort of burning burning the boats as well, because I think there's a lot of people who will be listening to this who um, they are maybe current currently employed and looking mm-hmm. to set up their coaching or consulting business or freelance business and worried about taking that sort of leap of faith. And I always say to people as well, you don't necessarily, you don't have to burn all of your boats, just burn a few of them. Could mm-hmm. you go down to doing like four, three or four days a week rather than maybe five days a week? Absolutely. I think that um, you have to 
have a plan. So you have to have a roadmap. Yeah. It's not just, oh, uh, oh, I'm going to do that someday. It's going to be my, my, my full-time job. Wishing doesn't make it so. Planning does. And so if you are looking at your life going, you know what? I really hate my nine to five, but a girl's got to eat. So I'm going to stay here. But this is where I want to be a year from now. And it's not just this is where I want to be a year from now. These are the steps I'm going to take to get me there and to commit to I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. And when I get to this milestone, I'm going to tell my boss I'm dialing back a little bit. And when I get to this level, I'm going to tell my boss I'm dialing back a little bit. And when I get to this level, I'm going to say goodbye. Because you're never going to make that leap halfway across the ocean if you don't have those interim steps. 100%. And in terms of um, another thing which you talk about as well is about seeing um, sort of life and all your business through the eyes of a child as well. So in order to like bring creative, which I love, just I, I think sometimes as business owners, we can get so caught up and so serious about life, can't we? <laughs> and like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to think like these long boardrooms where everybody's like, yes, you know, gray haired and suit and taking everything so seriously. But actually, like the reality is like, where is the fun in that? <laughs> So I, um, I always think about my nephew and he was about mm, three years old whenever I, whenever I talk about this through the eyes of a child. So he's three years old and we go into a restaurant and into the restaurant comes this, this bald man. And now it's kind of a, a fashion thing, but Stephen is, is 30 now and would be horrified to know that I still tell this story. At that time, it wasn't exactly really common. And so we're sitting in the restaurant and Stephen looks at the bald man and at the top of his little lungs, he says, look, mommy, that man has no hair. Everybody in the restaurant turns and looks at Stephen, turns and looks at the bald man, and then turns and looks at my sister-in-law, Karen, who is making herself as small as she possibly can. And she's like, Stephen, don't say that. Me, I'm laughing because it ain't my kid. But... (laughs) Stephen learned an important lesson that day. He learned that when you see things that are amazing and interesting, you keep it to yourself. And as we go through our lives, you know, you're laughing, but as you go through your lives in school, if you do something a little bit innovative or a little different, the teacher's like, F, that's not what we asked you to do. And you're like, but it's wonderful. And then you go to your first meeting as a young, excited employee and you throw out an idea and everybody in the room looks at you and goes, that's not how we do it. Note to self, keep mouth shut in meeting. And so everything in our corporate culture and in our schooling and in our lives is designed to sort of weigh that down. And as an entrepreneur, as a manager, as a business owner with employees, your job is to reignite that passion. Give people the freedom to, and give yourself the freedom to say whatever pops out of your mouth. There's a really interesting um, uh, book actually called Rebel Ideas by Matthew Said. I don't know if you've come across that book, but- No, but I'm going to look for it. 
quite a number of serious stories which he tells in there, one of which is about um, a, a surgeon where, um, you know, there's a 36-year-old mother of two goes in for a, a standard procedure and for what, whatever reason, the things start going wrong. She had locked jaw so they couldn't intubate her. She had a soft palate so the tube, once it, even when they'd opened her jaw, couldn't go down. And anyway, all, all of these things went wrong. That I won't go, go through the full story, but it ended up pretty catastrophic. She went into an induced coma and then sad, very sadly passed away for just a routine operation. And what happened was the doctor was, uh, all the doctor kept on saying was, I did everything I possibly could to save this woman's life. And um, when it transpired, actually, um, that the one thing which, um, or the one big learning from this was um, he didn't want to speak up for fear of losing his job like heaven forbid, right? But actually the reality was the husband um, put so much pressure on, husband of the wife who sadly passed away, put a lot of pressure on, but also supported the surgeon and said, no matter what happens, tell people what happened here so that we can learn from it. I'll make sure your job's okay. We'll find a way to get through this. And anyway, the, 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 I guess the punchline to the story is that the, the surgeon went through the procedure and off the back of it, they created, um, you know, these two things was like a one in a 14 million chance of them happening together during an operation. But they did happen. And as a result of documenting it, when people could speak openly and freely in the, the preceding 12 months, they then saved 17 lives because it happened 17 more times. Wow. And that's just a really extreme end of life or death. But in the workplace, like people should be allowed to speak up without any fear of recrimination, you know, because that's where we get a diversity of ideas. That's where we learn and that's where we grow from, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times it's not... Uh, a lot of that is in our heads. It's not, it's not even external. It's that fear of speaking up. So I developed a coping mechanism um, because this is how my brain works. Um, I will say to a customer, I'm about to say something. It may be crazy. And I reserve the right to tell you once I hear it out loud, it's a dumb idea. And then I proceed to tell them whatever. And about half the time, the customer's like, well, that's a really great idea. And we go for it. And then the other half the time after I hear it, I'm like, you know, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and my customers are used to that from me. And it, and it has given me permission to really push the envelope, try completely different things because I'm willing to channel my nephew Stephen and be three years old again and go, oh, that man's got no hair and, and we should sell him a wig. <laughs> I love that story. I may have to repeat that to, um, to my group when I speak to the next because I absolutely love that. Um, you, so talk to me about the, the marketing agency then. What's, um, what would you say is some of the um, uh, best ideas you've got from a marketing perspective for small business owners in this day and age? So um, I think... One of my favorite ideas is one that we still use with other clients today, but it started with Randall Beans. They sell beans in glass jars. Everybody else sells beans in the United States in cans, and they're disgusting. Um, and we took over working with them. They had 250 people on their email list and about that many friends on Facebook. And we came up with an idea to create original recipes and bundle them in digital took in digital cookbooks. And you could get the digital tool. I keep saying toolbox. You could get this digital cookbook just by giving us your email address. 
Fast forward 10 years later, their email list tops about 9,000 people actively opening emails every single week. Um, Their Facebook fan page is now about 7,500, all because we came up with this idea of creating a piece of content that was relevant. It wasn't really anything. I mean, it was related to the product. They don't sell their product online. If you have any idea how heavy a glass jar filled with beans is, you understand why and how breakable, why they don't sell the beans online. All we were doing was creating awareness and a loyal fan base and a a group of people who were excited and who look to Randall for their recipes. We have 25 different virtual cookbooks now and probably five or 600 recipes, uh, including a bunch of um, reader submitted ones. And uh, that is still my favorite strategy. Uh, Talk to me about the readers submitted ones. That's quite an interesting take on things as well. Um, That's one of my other favorite, favorite marketing ideas is, is this, this concept of user generated content. We all, when you start a business, there's an expression that um, you will grow faster with OPM, other people's money, because that influx of capital gives you the resources to grow. With your marketing, other people's content can do the same thing, assuming you ask for permission and you don't just scrape it off their website because that's bad form. But throwing a question out on social media, asking your community who knows and loves you to share photographs of their product. Um, Jimmy Fallon, uh, he does late night television here, um, used to do a thing where he would throw a question out on Twitter. And people would respond and he would read the best answers on the show live that night. It was original. It was stuff he would never have thought about. It was clever. It was funny. It gave his writers a break. And people would keep playing along because social media is about ego. And they kept hoping, well, maybe next time he'll read my stuff. And so adapting that kind of mentality, inviting people to participate with you, rewarding them by recognizing them, by saying thank you publicly, um, and by sharing what they give you, it's authentic content, it's um, stuff you would never think about, and the readers are more likely to share the results because it strokes their ego as well. So you, you use the um, uh, the digital recipe cards then for um, for this company. How could um, a coach or a consultant, where they're kind of selling something which is intangible, how could how could we encourage them to or their clients to start submitting user generated content? So um, two sides of it. Number one, I would um, yeah, uh, I would certainly ask for reviews. I would ask for uh, case studies where I would talk to my customers, and and we do this as well. We we talk to our customers and ask them, can we write a case study about the project we just did with you? Um, Psychotherapists have a little more problem with this because uh, so much of what they do is confidential. Um, But sharing... um, sharing success stories that don't dive into the nature of what the issue was or running a poll or a survey 
what are the top five issues you're wrestling with? If you have a Facebook group or a Facebook page, throw out a little poll and say, what are three things you wish you could do better next year? And now you compile this list and share that back. And then maybe you write blog posts or you write um, uh, podcast, you, you, you have podcast interviews about the topics that people care the most about and thank them for their suggestion. Another one of my favorite books actually just reminded me is called They Ask, You Answer. Um, and in it, uh, I forgive me, I can't remember the name of the um, the author of it. Uh, uh, oh, and it was nearly there then. Uh, no, I can't remember his name. But anyway, I saw it, I did see him speak actually last year in the UK. Um, but he talks about obviously when people are punching in search terms into Google and it comes up with the suggestions. Well, those are actually things which people are searching for on Google. So mm-hmm. if you were to type in business coach, it might come up with how much does a business coach cost? How do you know if you can find a trustworthy business coach and those sorts of things? And he suggested that you should then write up sort of a, a blog articles like you suggested of all, you know, answers to all of those different questions which they're asking. And I, I'm a yeah. massive fan of um, like social proof in any, uh, you know, in any way, shape or form. So question I get asked a lot is, Robin, how on earth did you get 110 five-star reviews on Google? I just went out and asked for them. Like most people are so busy selling the next client, they forget to think about their existing clients. Absolutely. And you touched on two things I really want to want to hit on really quick. Number one is um, we do a whole program on what's called content-based SEO, where you stop trying to game the system and win search on a keyword and you start just answering the questions. And there's a whole exercise of going through and looking for all the possible questions um, that people might have and answering them because now there is a chance that you will show up for those different topics based on your answers. And the other thing is those reviews. Yes, you wanna have them on Google and you wanna have them on um, Facebook and wherever else people are leaving them. You wanna ask permission to put them on your website as well. Why? Because they contain the words that other people will use when they're looking for you. That's not you defining your services. That's a customer talking about what you do in their words. And that's incredibly powerful, both of those from an SEO perspective. It's interesting because I always um, say to people who are struggling to articulate their value and tell other people about what the amazing things which they do, I always say to them, well, listen, you're, you're struggling to sell, your, to sell yourself, but hey, Lorraine, you pitch Robin and the pitch which you give the crowd would be completely different, you know, to everybody's mm-hmm. listening, would be completely different to how I would pitch myself. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's much more authentic and much more genuine, like hearing it from a third party. And I think, you know, I guess that's just down to somebody's confidence in, in themselves mm-hmm. and their ability to kind of articulate it and say what it is that they do. Mm-hmm. How, how would you say for um, sort of the small business community, where's a good place to start in terms of... Um, like articulating their value and how bullish should you be about it? Oh, I think you, my perception is the vast majority of businesses, uh, business owners aren't bullish enough. So go big or go home. Um, Tell, tell people, tell people what you're doing, tell people what you want to accomplish. Uh, Build a network 
of other business owners who are just a little more successful than you are because they will and meet with them regularly because they will kind of kick you in the butt a little bit. Um, I think when you were a guest on my show, I think we talked about um, this networking group that I was a part of. And the other three guys sat me down and said, Lorraine, you are not charging enough. It is time to raise your price. And so surrounding yourself with other business owners. I love my family. My family is not filled with entrepreneurs. And so they, you know, um, I come from a family of educators and social workers. And so when I talk about my business, they don't really understand and they want to support me, but they don't know how. So I had to build a second family of entrepreneurs, other business owners who shared not necessarily the industry I was in, but the passion that we had for our business and spend time with them so I could kick them in the butt a little bit and they could sort of push me along um, and we could learn from each other and grow together. I, I know exactly what you mean. When I set up my first business, official business in 2004, and I remember in 2005, I'd, it was, um, we were going okay, uh, but I'd had a particularly tough day and I was still, I was living at home at the time, mum and dad. And um, my mum walked in with me and my he head in my hands and she said, oh, Robin, I really think you should go and get a proper job. And it's just like, oh my goodness. It was just like the, the epitome of like family, you know, bias, being too close to you, wanting to protect you, but really not understanding like mm -hmm. what the true entrepreneurial spirit is all about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, my husband has had a very successful career. He's worked with AT&T for like, I don't know, the last 20 years and he likes it and he's, it's, he's good at it and, and it makes him happy. And that's wonderful. Um, I stopped talking to him about my business quite a while ago, other than the highlights, just because we're, it's a different realm of experience, you know? And, and I think you just, you just have to find those people who tell you, no, no, you're on the right tracker. Okay. You're not on the right track. You need to get over here and then keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. Lorraine, so you moved out of corporate, corporate land and set up Ram, Ram Peg. So what, what sparked that decision? <laughs> So it was funny. Um, it was a series of things and it was a, a shift over a long period of time. When I went to grad school, I always thought I was going to go back and work in small business um, and be a small business consultant. And then when I was in grad school, I was enamored by corporate branding. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I did it for a long time. And one of the things that really kind of shifted for me, I was listening to a radio interview with Peter Drucker and he was talking about a book and I do not remember which one it was at the time. And he said, you know what? Corporations have to hire crazy people if they're going to be successful. And I went running down the hall to my boss's office and I'm like, did you hear this? And he looked deadpan across the desk at me and he said, why do you think we hired you? got it. And that gave me a little bit of permission to be very out there and crazy. And I was happy. I never finished listening to the Peter Drucker interview. And it was years before I read the book where I discovered that if I had turned the page, what I would have learned was corporations need to hire crazy people. But unfortunately, once they get them, they start trying to cut the corners off them to get them to fit neatly in the little holes 
that is the corporate environment. And um, when I was told that I probably would never get the VP job because I liked to dance, oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I need to do something else. I just, I need to do something else. And so that's why, oh, there it is, Round Peg. It is a place where I fit, where I can do all the things that I love. And it's not about any of the things I'm not good at. It. Um, there is no singing at Round Peg. I can't carry a tune. <laughs> but, but pretty much everything else, um, you know, uh, getting to that moment where I realized I don't do things the way other people do and that's okay. And I'm perfect. And I'm comfortable with that. Was there ever a moment when you'd left kind of the relative relative safety of corporate land and you're getting the paycheck and you set up round peg? Was there ever a moment where you were like, shit, have I made the right decision here? (laughs) What do you mean ever a moment? Like that's a one time thing. (laughs) You know, um, uh, crawling around on the floor, trying to hook up all the cables to my computer going, where's my IT department? You know, or after I hired a number of employees and the economy cycled down and I had to figure out how to pay my team um, or pay me or pay for something else. Um, Yeah, yeah, there, there were lots of moments, but... I brought a lot of people into the business who shared my passion and I surrounded my people. I, I surrounded myself with other people that I could call up when I was having a bad day and go, okay, this is not a good day. Talk me through this. And um, I have some brainstorm partners and this kind of goes back to that eyes of the child. When I have a completely crazy idea, I can call my friend Tony and say, I have a crazy idea. I need, I need you to listen to me. And while we, there are lots of other conversations he has where he'll give me feedback and input. When I say that, it means shut up and just let me get the idea out. And I will do the same for him. And uh, we've done some amazing collaborative things over the years. So, so it sounds like kind of surrounding yourself by the right people, shared purpose and vision, but also having a place of real honesty where you can share those ideas and feel like you're not going to be judged. That's kind absolutely. of really been the key to your success over the last sort of few years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know what? You go to a lot of networking events and you would think as you walk around the room and now I see this on Zoom networking events that everybody else is more successful than you are. If you listen to the words that people are saying, you would think, oh my God, these people are all so successful. Can I, can I say BS? So I can say BS, right? You can, you say whatever you like. Okay, okay. Uh, bullshit. They are not successful. They are not. They are lying through their teeth. Everybody is putting up this fake front and because they think that if I don't portray, you know, that whole um, act the part and, and it'll become real. And yes, there are times that you need to do that, but you have to be able to drop your guard, at least with a few people, because you will never get to that real success point if you're not willing to be honest with yourself and with others about what's working and not working in your business. It's, it's really fascinating you've just said that and that's why I was applauding because um, uh, there's a new app called Club. Well, it's not new. It's been around for, since April last year, but Clubhouse. Clubhouse. 
But when you hear the BS, when you hear the bullshit, <laughs> like honestly, it rings. It's like a bell's just gone. Like somebody's just cracked the top of a glass, you know. And it's 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 just. I was listening, um, sitting in a group recently, and this guy comes on and he he starts going, "I've got a multi-million dollar this and an eight-figure that," and Facebook don't like me. They kick me off. LinkedIn don't like me. They kick me off. Twitter don't like me. They booted me off. So I set up my own social network and literally the, I mean, it was a proper roast. They just, just like the, the moderators just destroyed this guy. Cause it, you know, like fair play to him. He got and done his own thing, you know, and there, there was some, he was very well humored with it, but, but equally it, it was just like everybody in the room was just like, oh, this, is, this is bullshit. You just can't come into a place where you've got people having a, a seemingly sensible discussion with something like that and not be found mm-hmm. out. Oh, well, and, and, you know, all these people, I've sold a million this and I've sold And I'm like, really? So why are you hanging out in this little group yeah. on Clubhouse? It's an echo chamber. <laughs> they're, just, they're there to have all of these other BS people like pink, like, you know, just echoing everything that they're saying mm-hmm. and they, they back each other up. And like, to be fair, there are some genuine ones out there as well, but it's a shame you kind of got to sift through all of the, mm-hmm. the BS in order to get to the genuine ones. So it's, it's been really interesting because I mean, it's, if you think about it, it's like the first time that we've had a, a new platform that's taken off like Clubhouse has in best part of a decade, you know, mm-hmm. since... I mean, yes, you've got TikTok. Yes, you've got Snapchat. I'd say they're for the younger generation, but something which has really come into the scene from the business circuit and business mm-hmm. networking perspective. So it's been really interesting to see. I've been just been, I've been growing my audience, but watching how everybody else is kind of interacting on there and what conversations people are having. But it's 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 really fascinating. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing. I have a regular show every Friday that I or a regular room every Friday with a friend of mine, and we talk, and that's really slow. I, I'm not sure we found the right time of day to do it. Yeah. Um, and then I'm doing some pop-up conversations. The ones I like best are the rooms that are five to 15 people. Yeah. Because you can really have a quality conversation. So, yeah. And then, and you can also, the, the nice thing I do like is I can hop in and when somebody is just like spewing nonsense, I just leave. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's nice to say, it just says leave quietly and it's exactly what you do. <laughs> um, Lorraine, we're coming towards the, it's a shame. I want to chat some more, but we're coming towards the end of the interview. So um, timing wise. So um, talk to us about kind of what you're working on at Rampeg at the moment. You've got the digital toolbox, which is available, haven't you? So tell us about that. So um, uh, core to my business, because uh, at my heart, I'm a teacher. So core to my business has always been training, webinars, live sessions, uh, resources for business owners. And as the website for Roundpeg grew and grew and grew, it got harder to find those tools within our website. We spun off. um, It's the digitaltoolbox.club. We, ch- we just changed the domain. Um, I thought the dot club was kind of clever. Um, and it is a membership community. There are webinars. There are uh, free and paid webinars. There are all sorts of resources, um, workbooks on how to audit your website, how to manage your social media, how to, um, how to write a business plan. I mean, all of these tools and you can kind of browse through and find what you like. And I'm having a lot of fun with that because it's really getting me back to um, my roots, which is really teaching and empowering business owners 
to take ownership of their marketing. Even if they hire somebody to go into those conversations, knowing what they need, knowing what to ask for and understanding what they're paying for. I always say, um, make sure that whenever you delegate a task, delegate responsibly, don't delegate responsibility. You have to understand yes. at least a little bit about it in order to be able mm. to tell others what you want to get out of it. So absolutely, absolutely 100%. And also people can get hold of you. Um, I think it looks like on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and websites, uh, and your various websites as well. So mm-hmm. we'll make sure we share all of those links in the show notes, Lorraine. Uh, so um, for the, the final question, which we ask all of our guests at the very end of the show, uh, we're going to hop into the field business time machine and uh, you get to punch in the date we're going to go back to t minus x years and you're going to have a word with Lorraine then so what year is it and what would you say to her um I think it would be uh early 2008 um I had been I'd had my business for about six years it was the beginning of the recession in um uh here in the U.S. And I think if I could say one thing to uh, Lorraine back then, it was, um, and you're going to love this, raise your prices. Because what I did was I actually dialed back my pricing to, to continue to get those little bits of work. And we really struggled. And I think what I needed to do was raise my price and uh, go big or go home. And, and I'm pretty sure we would have gotten a lot of the projects we got anyway, and we would have made a lot more money um, and been able to do maybe some better work sooner. Well, it's a, it's a, always a painful process to go through, but it sounds like you learned a very valuable lesson then. But to those who didn't get the message, you can have a much more fun and prosperous business by having half the clients and double the revenue. So increase your prices dramatically. So thank you, Lorraine. It's been an absolute pleasure for, um, for, for you joining us this afternoon on the podcast. Um, and I look forward to our continuing conversations another time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. 